You are Locked On Marlins, your daily podcast on the Miami Marlins, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome back to the Locked On Marlins podcast, your only daily podcast on all things Miami Marlins. This is going to be a preview of the NLDS series against the Braves. If you're listening to this and you're like, wait, I thought I already listened to the preview of the NLDS series. Yeah, I put one out earlier today, but I realized that I had rushed it a little bit. I made some inaccuracies and I wanted to get that down before I put this out because I didn't want to lead anybody in the wrong way. I want you to come to this podcast and come away, hopefully knowing something you didn't know. I never want to steer anybody the wrong way. The mistake I made to clarify was that I completely ignored the fact that there are no travel days in this wacky playoff situation. I'll say that was my mistake. I rushed this morning before I got to work to get this podcast out because I really wanted everybody to have something to listen to today with no Marlins baseball. Unfortunately, normally I take the time take at least an hour to prepare or the night before to prepare for the podcast. As you know, I like to rattle a lot of numbers out and everything. And unfortunately, I rushed it a little bit and now I learned my lesson. I will not do that again and I will take my time and really make sure I do my due diligence so that you come away informed after listening to the podcast. Enough of that. I'm going to talk about what I think the Marlins are going to do, the good the good news is they came out with their rotation for the series, so now I can talk about that a little bit more and how I think that will impact everything and how the Marlins can navigate it. Ultimately, the mistake I had made was assuming that Sandy Alcantara can pitch on three days rest, which he could, but that would be game five, not game four as the game one starter because game four would be two days rest and there's absolutely no chance that happens. So as of about a couple hours ago, the rotation for the Marlins was announced as Sandy Alcantara, then Pablo Lopez, then Sixto Sanchez. That's pretty much what we expected, given that Pablo has not pitched in so long. It only made sense that he would be the Game 1 or Game 2 guy. It was just a matter of which one. Sixto was pretty much cemented in for Game 3. I like the decision to go Sandy Game 1. It sets the tone. The Braves have not seen Sandy as much as they've seen the latter two, because Sandy was on the COVID IL. And Sandy's been the best pitcher right now. So set the tone, give yourself a chance to get up one game to nothing, especially when you're the away team in the first game. And that that would be a huge momentum shifter for the Marlins, who are clearly the underdogs. But taking game one in a five-game set, it goes without saying how massive that is. Also, the Marlins are going to have to ma- match Max Freed in that ball game. Freed has been really good. Worth noting, the Marlins have the only two home runs that Max Freed surrendered all season long. They hit them both in one inning. Not to say that we can expect the Marlins to just come out and rake Max Freed, but it is encouraging that they saw the ball pretty well against him last time out. Sandy Alcantara, the Braves haven't seen as much. The Marlins have seen a lot more of Freed and Ian Anderson than the Braves have seen of Alcantara, so that's a bit of an advantage as well. Alcantara has been really, really solid the last few ballgames. I think he was a little bit off against the Cubs, and the fact that he was still able to compete despite the fact that he didn't have his best stuff and best command is a showing of a guy that is really, really improving. And I always say that's the difference between an elite pitcher and a good pitcher is the guy that can still put together a quality start when his stuff isn't on. And that was exactly what Sandy did in that last outing. Very eager to see how Pablo Lopez does because 
as you remember, that 29-9 ball game where the Marlins were absolutely shellacked, that was a Pablo Lopez start. There were a few bad bounces, some bad calls that didn't go Pablo's way. That was also part of that little lull that he had where he was just not pitching too well, but he quickly sorted that out and was fine just a couple starts later. So I think that was less to do with the Braves having Pablo's number and more to do with the fact that Pablo was just in a little bit of a rut at that point. And once a couple calls didn't go his way, he would have been out of that inning with the Marlins actually in the lead. And then a few other things unraveled. It just seemed like it was one of those games. I'm not going to put too much stock into that one outing. And I expect him to put together a pretty quality start against the Braves in game two. With Sixto in game three, that is anybody's guess because we saw how much Sixto struggled in that second start against the Braves. He was great in that first start against the Braves. And it seems like everybody and their mother knows now that Sixto is much better the first time you face him. The second time you face him, he struggles a little. Or the second time you face him, you do a little bit better. Or vice versa, Sixto struggles in his second outing against the same team. I don't know why I didn't phrase it that easy the first time, but you know what I'm saying. Sixto now is facing the Braves for the third time. That's going to be very interesting to see how this entire theory goes. I don't even know if it's a theory at this point. It's really a mere fact. He was good against the Cubs. He did run into some trouble, and that's where I'm a little bit concerned is he got into some jams. The Cubs just blatantly were terrible at the plate. Sixto was really good in the fact that he was sharp as hell the first couple innings. He ran into some trouble in those later innings in his start. Don stuck with him. I will give him credit that he was able to battle and stayed poised. That was very important. But you have to wonder, if he's going against Freddie Freeman in that bases-loaded situation, is he going to be able to dance out of it? Or is he going to be able to dance out of back-to-back jams like that against a lineup like the Braves? Yes, the Cubs are very stacked on paper, but that lineup had been terrible down the stretch of the season and in the postseason. And they've been terrible for the last several postseasons, as you've probably seen some of those ridiculous numbers of the core guys, Baez, Chris Bryant, and I believe it was one other, might have been Schwarber, that are hitting like 150 or something like that over their last like three years of postseason games. It's terrible. It's it's really sad to see, and I think the Cubs were going to see a much different look team come next year. That aside, you're not going to be able to get away with as many of those mistakes or the jams that you get into against the Braves. You're going to want to be a little bit more efficient in keeping runners off base. No free passes like Sixto surrendered in those couple innings. So we'll see how that goes because we know the Braves are one of the best offenses in all of baseball. And that's for good reason. They are absolutely stacked, especially with Albies healthy, Acuna presumably healthy. He supposedly is dealing with a wrist issue, but has been quite fine. He looked great in that red series. So very, very tough for the Marlins, but they do have good starting pitching. And I really like Sandy in game one. Where things can get interesting here is where do the, what do the Marlins do in game four and presumably a possible game five? You got to get there first, right? So that's why it's so important to try and get this first game with Sandy and potentially game two with Pablo. It's going to be a tough matchup because for the, for the Braves, it's going to be Max Freed and then Ian Anderson, who has been better and better every single darn start we see from Ian Anderson. He's better than the last one, and he is just a stud. No way around it. And I really love to watch this guy pitch. It's a shame that he pitches for the Braves because the Braves are going to have a very scary rotation come next year, assuming Mike Soroka is healthy. Anderson is mostly a fastball changeup guy. will mix in the curveball, but his changeup is a plus pitch. He is able to disguise it very well 
with his unique arm slot straight over the top. He hides the ball well. The fastball and changeup look exactly the same, and that's why he's been able to get a lot of guys out on that changeup and against some really good lineups. Very interested to see how the Marlins fare against him since they have seen him at least a few times. It's going to be a challenge for this bullpen as well. But the thing is, the Marlins bullpen has finally come together a little bit, and they kind of have their rules more carved out than they had ever had in this season for so many reasons, right? Because of COVID, because of guys coming back, then certain guys getting hurt, and not knowing exactly what we were going to do with certain guys in what roles. I think the roles are more carved out now, and Brandon Kinsler obviously has been a really good anchor at the back. So overall, it's going to be a challenge. We know that. But what are the Marlins going to do in a potential game four? That's where things get interesting. We've seen rumblings of maybe Edward Cabrera, but from what I saw from Craig Mish today, he said Trevor Rogers in game four. And what Mish says when it comes to the Marlins, it's gospel. That's the fact. You don't dispute Mish. when If he has a report on something Marlins related, it's right because it came straight from the horse's mouth. That's just how it is. So game four is probably Rogers on a short leash. That's fine for me. Rodgers has had some tough outings here and there, but I think he looked really sharp in his last couple outings of the season. He had worked some things out. He was much more poised, much better command, getting ahead of guys. And that's the difference for him. He doesn't have elite stuff. So he needs to establish that fastball, which is his best pitch. I've talked about that time and time again. And once he establishes that fastball, everything else works off of it. Because then you have hitters really selling out for that fastball, and that's where the changeup really plays up. I think it's worth noting that if he's on a short leash, maybe you consider a Dan Castano on the roster. He went six innings of one-run ball against the Braves. Yes, that was in Marlins Park, and Castano has given up a lot of deep fly balls. Houston, more of a hitter's park, very short porch with the Crawford boxes and left. But still, Castano was very solid against the Braves. He might belong in this bullpen for this next division series here as we're waiting for the Marlins to officially put out their true, true roster for this. Edward Cabrera is a guy that is potentially going to get called up to make his debut in this series. I don't know. I wouldn't hold my breath, but I think it's worth considering for the Marlins because, look, they need to do some things outside of the box. I've said this all year long. This team is not going to win just by playing the status quo, by doing all of the things that they're supposed to do, quote unquote. You got to take some chances. Edward Cabrera has a higher ceiling than anybody else the Marlins could potentially throw in that ball game. Is he ready for that stage? I don't know. And we won't know. But if the Marlins are trying to really make something special happen, maybe you got to take that chance because there is the chance that Edward Cabrera goes five shutout innings with eight Ks. He's that good. And he's put up better strikeout numbers than Sixto Sanchez in the minor leagues. He really has been consistent for the last two seasons as probably the best statistical pitcher in the Marlins system. I think that he's earned this opportunity. And even if it's out of a bullpen role, if he piggybacks Trevor Rogers, I would love that. So we'll see what the Marlins do. I think it's worth a shot because you really got to get creative and you got to take chances in a series like this. I want them to be aggressive on the base paths. I want them to be taking chances with their pitching, putting guys like Edward Cabrera in tough situations because you know what? You're going to have to. Would you rather put in you know, a Steven Tarpley or even a Braxton Garrett? Or I just said Dan Castano, but if you could put Edward Cabrera or Dan Castano in, Give me Edward Cabrera, just because we know what he's capable of. He can get way more swing and miss, and as a guy that they don't have much film on, they don't know much about, it works into his favor even more, and that's one of the only elite pitchers that the Marlins have that they haven't seen, and that's just a huge edge that they could have, and I think that's something definitely worth considering. 
a couple weeks ago, I would have told you that Game 3 is advantage Marlins with Kyle Wright versus Sixto Sanchez. I'd still give the Marlins the edge, quite obviously, but it's a little bit closer now, given what the Braves did to Sixto last time out, and Kyle Wright is a different pitcher. This is a guy that was a first-round pick, perennial top prospect for years. Coming into this season, he was a top prospect. He had struggled in a short stint last year in the major leagues, struggled early on this year, but then he made some major adjustments after getting sent to the alternate training site just a month ago. And over his last three starts, 19 innings of just five-run baseball, which is good for a 2-3-7 ERA, the big difference for him has been the usage of a sinker. We've seen how much that helped Sandy Alcantara, a guy that had good stuff. It was just about command and pitch usage. He was only using was Kyle Wright, was only using his sinker 15% of the time before he went to the alternate training site. He comes back, and now he's throwing it 45% of the time. Statistically, it's his best pitch. Hitters struggle the most against it. He gets a lot of ground balls, and he's able to get weak contact with it. The fact that he's throwing it three times as much now is a testament to the fact that he has realized that it's his best pitch, and now he's working off of it. I don't think it's a coincidence that he's throwing that pitch more, and over the last three starts, he has been very good going six innings plus in each of them. I'm not saying I'm afraid of Kyle Wright. The Marlins have beat much better already this postseason, but... Kyle Wright is not the bum that they put a five spot up on in a couple innings a month ago. He's going to be a little bit tougher than that, and they're going to need to hit well situationally, especially when you got a runner on third and less than two outs. Kyle Wright's going to be throwing sinkers, heavy sinkers in the bottom of the zone. You can't be rolling over them onto third base. It's going to be a little bit different with Kyle Wright now commanding the zone better because he's not trying to blow fastballs by you that he doesn't command as well. He's throwing heavy sinkers at the knees, and he's having a better time, an easier time locating that down there. I have a few other interesting stats that stand out to me, especially when we're going to think about what the Braves might do in a game four or game five, because I don't think Max Freed will be pushed to throw on short rest in a game five, given that he's had back spasms just three to four weeks ago. You already lost Mike Soroka to an Achilles injury. As much as you want to win it this year, I don't think the Braves are going to push Max Freed, who is now already one of the best young pitchers in baseball. They cannot afford to lose him long-term beyond just this postseason. I don't think they push him. I'll talk about who they could pitch instead of him in that situation of a Game 5 or what they could do in Game 4. And I'm going to talk about what the Marlins could do in that Game 5 as well outside of Sandy Alcantara. First, I'm going to tell you a little bit about Built Bar as always. You know I got to tell you about my favorite protein bar. They have six brand new flavors, as you probably know by now, on top of the 12 already delicious flavors they already had. A couple of my favorite from the new flavors, caramel brownie, cookies and cream, also like carrot cake. A flavor profile real quick on one of the original flavors, just so you can get an idea, because they are low in fat, low in calorie, high in protein, and low in carbs. Cookies and cream. 17 grams of protein, only 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, and only 4 grams of net carbs. Even better, you put your order in right now at BuiltBar.com and use the promo code LOCKEDON. You'll get $10 off your next order. That's promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com for $10 off your next order. And while supplies last, you can get a free cooler with your purchase. That's promo code LOCKEDON at BuiltBar.com. So a few more stats and important little things to talk about 
in this series for the Marlins is the fact that against the Cubs, they didn't really need to go to too many of their high leverage bullpen arms in tough, tough situations. I'd say game two was a little bit more high leverage and Brandon Kinsler had that gutsy closeout to the game. Yimmy Garcia, whether he hit that guy intentionally or not, whether he hit Contreras intentionally or not, I don't know. I'm going to venture to say he didn't. And I was arguing about this on Twitter, but then I started seeing some Marlins fans saying, did he just hit him on purpose? And I was like, wait, do Cubs fans actually have a leg to stand on on this? Because I'm thinking absolutely no way did Gimme Garcia hit a guy on purpose when you're up two runs in the eighth inning of a playoff game where you can advance to the next round. There's no way in the world that that guy would put somebody on base and put the tying run at the plate. I don't know. I'm going to venture to say that it was an accident because he had just missed inside before. And why would you want to hit a guy on the elbow guard again? I mean, you wouldn't really even feel it. I think he just missed the elbow guard. So I don't know. I'm going to hope that it wasn't the fact that Yimmy Garcia hit him on purpose, but I didn't like to see him rattled in that situation and let them get to him because you got to stay poised. At the end of the day, you get those three outs, then Kinsler gets the last three outs. Who cares what they have to say? You're going to the next round and you just eliminated them in their home ballpark. So I don't know what happened there. But I still like Yimmy Garcia in the setup role. Let's just hope that the Braves, who we know, like to jaw off, just like their fans, don't get into Yimmy's head. But if I saw that as a Braves fan, or as a Braves player, excuse me, I'm thinking, like, man, we might be able to get in this guy's head. So we'll see how Yimmy Garcia does and whether the Braves try and take advantage of that. But I, I doubt it. And I think that he's going to anchor down that eighth inning spot. Hopefully the whole be in situations where the Marlins need him to hold down a lead instead of the Marlins playing from behind and maybe they go to different options in that situation like a Boxberger or some of the lower leverage guys that they have in the bullpen. For a game four and five, talk about Sandy Alcantara as a potential game five guy, but what about the Braves? The Braves could go to Bryce Wilson in game four and Bryce Wilson has not been good all year long, just an ERA under six. But if I told you that the guy who has thrown the most innings against the Marlins this year was Bryce Wilson, Would you believe me? Because that's actually the truth. And he's been the best pitcher against the Marlins all year for the Braves, which is just mind-boggling. He's gone nine innings of one-run baseball with eight Ks. Otherwise, he has been atrocious this year. So do the Braves look at that and say, you know what, let's give him a start on a short leash? Maybe. I almost hope they do, because I don't think that he continues to put together innings like that against the Marlins. I think it was a little bit fluky, and he caught them kind of in a rut at the time. The offense had been struggling. But still, the fact that Bryce Wilson has that good of numbers, even though it's a small sample size against the Marlins this year, you have to wonder if he does have their number and what will happen if the Marlins face him and whether the Braves are willing to bet on the fact that those numbers will continue. And an interesting number for the Marlins or or figure or statistic or whatever you want to call it, and this is something I had tweeted earlier today, and my phone, I had to turn notifications off on my phone because you would be hearing it buzz right now this entire podcast. I had tweeted this stat that the Marlins had given up a majority of their runs against the Braves. Most of those runs that were given up were surrendered by guys that are no longer on the roster. In fact, it was 41 of the 64 runs, I believe it was, surrendered to the Braves in this season were surrendered by guys that not only aren't on the team right now, but were several of them were just stop gaps. I mean, Jordan Yamamoto, as we know, that 12 spot, but even Josh A. Smith, he had had an important role at times this season, but he gave up a majority of his earned runs to the Braves. Brett Eibner gave up several runs. Alex Vesia, you had Justin Schaefer, gave up several runs. 
These are all guys that would have no business being on the Marlins team had their entire pitching staff not gone down with COVID-19. And the fact is, their ERA against the Braves drops from 6.64 to just above 4 when you take away all of those stop gaps that would have never been pitching for the Marlins. I tweeted that stat out, and I am getting decimated by the whole city of Atlanta about the fact that I'm cherry-picking stats, blah, 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 blah. Everybody trims the fat going into the postseason. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I get that. But the Marlins have pitched more guys. More guys have towed the rubber for the Marlins than almost any team in a 60-game stretch in baseball history. It might be more than any team in baseball history. And the guys that were towing the rubber were guys that were either playing indie ball or in the minor leagues. You know that whole story already. You were watching this season. So I think the fact that two-thirds nearly of the runs the Marlins surrendered against the Braves were from guys that aren't on the postseason roster is worth noting. Braves fans disagree, but I thought I thought I would tell you that statistic because it is somewhat encouraging. Yes, Pablo and Sixto struggled in their last two starts against the Braves, but overall, they have been solid all year. Sixto was really good in the other start against the Braves when they stacked him really heavy right-handed batters the entire lineup, and he was effective. We'll see if he can bounce back in this third start now against the Braves. So the Marlins, we know what they can do in game four. Sandy Alcantara could go in game five on short rest, and then you figure it out from there. That could be another situation where it's all hands on deck. Could you go to Pablo Lopez on two days rest? Probably not, even though he hasn't played in so long. It would probably be a little bit much to do that after he had probably thrown, we're hoping, several, several innings, five, six, seven innings potentially in game two. That's the hope. If he does get yanked shortly and only throws 50, 60 pitches in game two, then maybe that's a guy you can go to on short rest in game five. Again, it's going to be a very fluid situation and I will be all over it and be delivering the podcast to you day by day to let you know what I think as this situation continues to unfold and game by game, what the implications are for the future. End of the day, The Marlins beat you, Darvish, who I think is better than anybody right now that the Braves have to offer. Ian Anderson has been spectacular. Max Fried has been spectacular. But you, Darvish, was probably one of the best pitchers in all of baseball this year. The Cy Young runner-up, I expect, to Trevor Bauer. Fried was really good, but the Marlins have seen a lot of Fried, and they knocked him around the last start, as I mentioned earlier. They've beat Anderson. Kyle Wright is improved, but at the end of the day, not a lights-out starter. The Marlins have beat tougher. I would say Hendricks is tougher than Kyle Wright as well. So the Marlins have already overcome some tougher pitching. They have not overcome tougher hitting, and that's where it's going to be interesting in this more of a hitter's park here. Can the Marlins keep this team in check? I could see the Crawford boxes being a lot of fun for some of the Braves hitters out there in left field, which is kind of annoying, but it works for both sides, and we'll see what happens But this is going to be a tough matchup. I'm very excited to see what the Marlins can do, see if they can hold their own. And I'm excited to see how they decide to handle the bullpen because it's worth noting that Ryan Stanek should no longer be really shouldering any important innings. Eli Sussman of Fistripes had pointed this out earlier today or yesterday that Stanek's velocity has not come back since he returned from COVID-19. And I don't like to speculate but the circumstantial evidence would say that you know maybe he hasn't regained his strength. We don't know what the effects are on players. It seems like most players are fine coming back, so maybe that's an excuse. Who knows? And it's one of those things that you just don't want to speculate too much. But regardless, from his time off, he has come back and he has not been as good. That is all that matters because right now, 
I don't think you can put him out there in any situation that isn't a blowout in favor of the Braves. And of course, you hope that never happens. I think the Marlins need to really shrink that bullpen, which they did against the Cubs, but that was thanks to the starting pitching allowing them to do that. That's why I think Edward Cabrera should be in here and on this team because some of the bullpen options, I don't think the Marlins would put out there unless it's an absolute blowout. So why not have somebody that you can maybe put an emergency start or piggyback in a start if the other guy like Trevor Rogers doesn't go deep. But for the bullpen, really, there should only be a few guys that you're really, really counting on in a close game. James Hoyt, the escape artist, the janitor. Of course, I want that guy in when there's runners on base and you need a strikeout. Kinsler, quite obviously. Rogers, if he's not making the starting game four, even though I assume he is. That's a guy you still need to count on out of the bullpen. I think he'd be more effective out of the bullpen with the fact that he can run it up a little bit higher to the upper 90s. Blyer is my guy. You know that. Blyer is my favorite pitcher in baseball. He has been trustworthy all year long. Boxberger, overall, been trustworthy. Those are the guys that I'm giving important innings to. If you need somebody to eat up innings, of course, Yemi Garcia, too, another guy, as we talked about earlier, definitely needs to shoulder some important innings. I would trust Neidert in a long relief role if you had to, and maybe that's an option if the Marlins absolutely have to in one of the Game 4 or Game 5s as well. But I think I would rather see Edward Cabrera in that situation, to be honest, just because Neidert just isn't quite ready for that stage. And at least Edward, who may not be ready for that stage, has better stuff and has better chances to get swing and misses. Neidert's going to have to pitch to weak contact against one of the best lineups in baseball. That's a tough recipe, and I think a swing and miss guy, high velo guy, plays a little bit better against a lineup like that. Please be sure to tweet any questions you have, anything you want discussed on the next podcast. Of course, questions at Locked On Marlins at RM8Nate on Twitter. I will take any engagement right now that's not from Atlanta, so please, Marlins fans, be sure to ask me any questions. I will make sure I either answer them on Twitter or on the podcast. I want to gear these podcasts during the postseason towards the fans because that's what it's all about. And I want to answer any questions that you may have. So please fire those my way. Very eager to see how the Marlins lineup responds to this Braves team. Jesus Aguilar, worth noting, has absolutely raked against the Braves this season, hitting about 350. So he is going to be a major X factor for this team. This is going to be a fun, fun series. Hopefully it goes five unless the Marlins sweep them in three. But I don't think I would put my money where my mouth is on that one. Regardless, let's enjoy this. We've got at least three more ball games, which is a lot more than any other teams in baseball can say other than a select few, which the Marlins are lucky to be a part of right now. So let's enjoy this. As always, thank you for listening. I look forward to talking Marlins playoff baseball with you tomorrow.